0: Find your place in Acts chapter 20. I'll remind you over the last few weeks we have been going through um, the book of Acts, looking um, primarily at the public addresses of Paul and trying to see how we can benefit and apply this to our life. And so this morning we have a unique message here, because this is from Paul, but this is unique in a way that um, in other times in the book of Acts, in his public addresses, he was either addressing Gentiles or he was addressing uh, the people of Israel, the Jews. But right here, we're going to see that he's addressing the elders. So if you would please stand with me as we read the word of God. We're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 20. Verse thirteen says, "But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at S- Samos, and the day after we went to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia." For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, And teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Paul, or I'm sorry, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied, accompanied him to the ship. Please be seated. So this is Paul's third missionary journey. He's traveling through, and in verse 13, this starts his missionary journey. And verse uh, 16, Paul's very clear about, or Luke is very clear about the the focus that Paul um, has. It says that if it's possible, that he wants to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. That's what Paul's uh, uh, motive is. That's where he is going on this missionary journey. However, he calls the Ephesus elders to come to him so that he can minister to them, so that he can impart to them this, um, uh, this knowledge of, of continuing to stay in the word, minister to the church, uh, be prepared because people are going to come in and attack the church um, by spreading lies. And that is Paul's focus right here. And as I read this and I consider our church and how the Lord is moving, I see that there is um, a lot of likeness as far as the unity that we have and how the Lord is working in individual lives here as well as in in a community body. And so as I think about this, I want to give you three points, three ideas here that we as individuals, that we can look at our own life to make sure that we are right before the Lord. And if we pay attention to these things individually, then when we come together as a corporate body, I believe that we will have more unity, more joy, more peace, And we'll be able to see the Lord bless. The first point I have for you is the Holy Spirit of the church. If you look at verse 22, the Bible says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This is Luke's style when he's writing in the book of Acts, that he says these things almost so matter-of-factly, that he understands it. He is a witness to the, um, uh, the Holy Spirit that is guiding and leading. But yet us as readers sometimes, and even as we're growing in the Lord, there can be questions about this. Such as when we read that um, Paul is constrained in the Spirit. Don't you just want to know what that means? What that looks like? Where it says that the Holy Spirit testifies to Paul. How? Is there an audible voice? How does Paul know these things? And even today in our society, we have um, so many that are following this example of really redefining um, terms, biblical terms, what the Holy Spirit's moving is, and they devalue him to it's just emotionalism. So it's just nothing but a mere feeling. I want to show you, even in the Old Testament, the the feeling of the Spirit. If you'll look at Numbers 11.25, Hopefully it will be on the screen for you. The Bible says in verse 25, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him. He's talking about Moses from the previous verse. And he put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out of the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. We see in the Old Testament. This rare occasion, Um, we know that uh, there are people in the Old Testament, such as prophets, um, kings, um, judges, that were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it gave them strength and wisdom, and we see this. But the, the new revelation in the book of Acts is how all believers are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joshua didn't understand this. This was a rare occurrence here, because Joshua even asked Moses to make them stop. He was somewhat disturbed by seeing this. But you can see that Moses, he saw the great value that it had for these prophets to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he didn't want to stop them. Instead, his wish was that all of God's people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can see from the book of Acts that, that is exactly what is happening here. But again, the question is, is how is this happening? Well, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus gave His uh, disciples a commandment. He said, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's what he told them. Jesus was resurrected. He died. He resurrected. And he told them to stay in the city until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that happened. And because of that, we see that these men, that they were given uh, great power, discernment, wisdom. We know that there's also some, some gifts of healing in tongues. But there's power that each one of us, that we should truly seek from the Bible and expect in our own lives. That we shouldn't just read the Bible and and think um, that it was just an occurrence to happen then. But it's something that we should look for in our own life. And I would even say that we should be disturbed if we don't see that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians and in 2 Corinthians that when we believe that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, he, He joins with us. We enter into this communion with him, which is somewhat of a mystery. But the Bible says that even as the man and a woman have this one flesh union, that even man with Jesus Christ, we are joined in one spirit to him. And that's an awesome thing. It gives us so much more um, ability to even serve the Lord. Even as Bobby prayed uh, for Dave and those who are in Boston right now. We are essentially joined with them by the spirit of God. And so we pray. We pray that the Lord would bless their trip so that even in that we can participate with them. In the same way how we have uh, Jasmine and Ashley and these that are uh, in another country right now being missionaries. Um, I hope that you would see the value of truly just just uh, praying for them and, and just, just asking the Lord to bless them and use them. Because um, Paul has pointed to so many times that this is a way that we are able to um, unite with them and essentially have a part in this ministry. So many times we hear in our culture that the Holy Spirit and the gifting of power that comes from him, but the world redefines it just as an emotion. You know, they want to have lights. They want to have a feeling. They invite the Holy Spirit to come in to minister to their senses. But as far as having knowledge of the word of God and growing in their, um, their fellowship with him, it's foreign. It's a foreign concept. Even as we read, we try to pay attention uh, to it in our church, that we would model uh, requesting from the Lord to open our minds, open our hearts, that we would be able to uh, understand his word. So in the same way, this is uh, the power that the the Holy Spirit gives to us. And I think that sometimes, because of the mentality of the world, that a lot of times it makes us afraid to kind of step out on this. Because there's so many people that have abused... uh, just the power of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is by redefining it. Sometimes it makes us uh, somewhat afraid to step out in faith. Um, I want to read to you briefly. This is George Mueller's book. I, I want to just read to you how he thought about this. George Mueller. He's from England. He is known as being just a great man of prayer. He's known as uh, someone who opened up a bunch of orphanages, and. I think this is very interesting, the way he words this. He says, my spirit longed to be instrumental in strengthening their faith. He's speaking about these businessmen and these other people in the church that he is acquainted with. But he feels as if they are not fully stepping out and trusting the Lord. Um, He wanted to be instrumental in strengthening their faith by giving them not only instances from the word of God, of his willingness and ability to help all those who rely on him, but to show them by proofs. That he is the same in our day, I well know that the word of God ought to be enough, and it was by grace enough to me. But still, I considered that I ought to lend a helping hand to my brethren, if by any means, by any means, by this visible proof of the unchangeable faithfulness of the Lord, I might strengthen their hands in God. For I remembered what a great blessing my my own soul had received through the Lord's dealings with His servant A. H. Frank who in dependence upon the living God alone, established an immense orphan house, which I had seen many times with my own eyes. And I therefore judge myself bound to be the servant of the church of God, and in the particular point on which I had obtained mercy, namely in being able to take God by his word and to rely upon it. So what he's saying there is he realizes that there was something that was somewhat unique about him in that he was able to take God at his word. And him seeing his brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, seeing that they did not have that same mercy in that way, in that same portion that he had received, he made up his mind that he was going to start an orphanage. And he was going to do that not by going out and trying to request funds from people. He was only going to do it from prayer, from asking the Lord, and making it known to people so that when anybody would ask him how his ministry is growing, how his ministry is energized, there'd be no other answer than it is the Lord that is doing this. And if you know the rest of the testimony of George Mueller, he opened several orphanages. And even though there was times of... um, uh, I guess you could say famine, they were absolutely uh, starving, but when money was tight and, and, and um, it looked like it just might be the end, always just right before the worst would happen, the Lord would always come through and meet every single need. You know? And in and, and us, I think that um, we should have very similar mentality, that we should not be afraid to step out and to proclaim the relationship that we have with the Lord. So in the, in, in the first aspect of it, we need to, number one, know that we're the Lord's. The Bible says that we, as the Lord's people, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He testifies uh, to our conscience, the Bible says in First John. So there should be something for all of us who are believers that we experience and we can recognize the voice of God and the inner workings of how he is creating in us this desire to live for him. And I would also say that it should be a matter of great concern. If all we can do is just point to all of these external things that we have done and we don't experience the, the actual presence of the Lord. Because this is what the God has given to us. Um, this is the power that he's given to us. Um, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I'll read a couple verses here. Starting in verse 12. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. As I knew that this was going to be something I was going to talk to you about, the Holy Spirit, I do feel some hesitation on how I present this, though. Because if I present this merely on my own um, experience with the Lord, I'm afraid that it would trip you up. Because the way that I would explain it would be very subjective. And the way that you would hear it, you might think, well, that's not how the Lord deals with me. But when we read um, scripture such as Romans 8 right here, you can see specifically and objectively how it is that the Lord does deal with everyone here. Um, He testifies to our spirit in verse 16. He bears witness with our spirit. He helps us with our prayers. He leads us. And again, that should be something that we look for daily in, in our life. Um, I would say that even as I'm able to talk with people, if people are struggling or if I am struggling so many times, it's because I'm trying to do this on my own rather than truly submitting to the Lord, rather than seeking the Lord for his strength, for his wisdom to guide and direct me. And so many times um, we can spare ourselves from so much trouble if we would just submit to the Lord in that way. So some things that the Holy Spirit does, he comforts us. How does he comfort us? By the word of God. He creates in us this desire to know God, to no longer live according to the flesh as we have in the past, but to truly um, with great depth of understanding of what it means to live in the spirit. We know that we're supposed to, but how, how do we do that? That's why we read our Bible. That's how we pray and ask the Lord to open up his word and to reveal it to our heart. He guides us. He teaches us. He also unites believers together in Christ, even as we already said that um, in this way we're able to participate in the ministry that um, our missionaries have right now who are in Boston. He gives wisdom and discernment. Um, One point I don't have right here, but he leads us in peace. That is a huge point of how you know the Lord. Um, This is even what Christ means when he says, my sheep, they know my voice, they hear me, they won't go to a stranger. When when the Holy Spirit leads us, when we have this life decision where we're praying and it seems like we could go in either direction and we don't know what to do. As we pray through these things, completely submitting our own will to God, the way that we know what the Lord's will is because he will give us great peace in these things. Um, Even Paul, um, in our text right here, he had great peace as he was um, leading these people. He also, the Holy Spirit, leads us to praise God. Just inside of us, we just want to worship God. We want to be obedient to Him. We want to do His will. All of this is coming from the Spirit. That is not our flesh that would desire these things. He also leads us to witness for wanting to tell other people about Him. To want to live openly and transparently before um, our fellow man. That we would not have the secret life of sin. So one real question as far as an application we can ask ourselves, are we seeking the Holy Spirit individually, personally, daily in our lives to help uh, equip us, to fill us? Um, I'd like to read for you 2nd, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Look starting at verse 9. The Bible says, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in the words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You can see, even from that section right there, how necessary the Holy Spirit of God is. Without the Holy Spirit of God, um, even as verse 14, if we continue to read there in chapter 2, it says that the natural man, they can't even understand the things of God. Um, One example of that would be in John 6, where Jesus told his followers there that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the people said, this is a hard thing to hear. And they turned and they left him. And the reason was because they didn't understand it was spiritual, what he was saying. So in that way, I think that we really need to pay attention and um, just develop through great patience and meditation of seeing how the Lord is leading in our life. And just the benefit that that would give to the church body. Yes, it would uh, benefit us as individuals, even as each of us, um, where the Lord has given us uh, this ministry and this influence, it will affect that. But even as we come together as a body, that we would come together um you know, not struggling with the same battles of sin. We'll still have sin that we have to fight with. But not having members that have secret, hidden sins. Because even as Paul says in, in uh, his First Corinthians 2, that when we battle with sin, that it's affecting the whole body. He says, I don't want to say this too severely, but it's affected all of us. You know? So we need to submit to the Holy Spirit of God. The next thing I want to show you is the ministry ministry. The ministry of the church. Look at verse 24 in Acts 20. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I might finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord to testify to the grace of God. Paul defines the ministry in three ways. In verse 31, he says that he is admonishing them. So to admonish is part of the ministry. In verse 35, he says providing for the weak and hungry. This is another way um, that we can minister. In verse 35, it also says, let me read this here. And all these things I have shown you that by working hard in these things, we must help the um, I know I didn't have it for the slide, but I added another point here. Imitating maturity. Because Paul says, and all these things I have shown you, um, that should, should be a, a sense of personal responsibility that we have, too. Yes, praise the Lord, we are saved. Yes, praise the Lord, we are filled by His Spirit. We have these new desires, but then we have to step out and display this maturity to other people. So when we do that, that's going to affect our conversations, the things that's important to us, the things that we would surround ourselves with, such as um, social things. We won't have the same desires and hungers because we will want to uh, model maturity. And also at the end of verse 35, it says, remembering the words of our Lord. That's also what is part of our ministry. I want to read 2 Corinthians 10.14, and I have it here in the NASP because I like the visual picture that it it gives. It says, For we are not overextending ourselves as we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other man's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I like the way that the NISB says uh, the sphere. Um, the ESB says area of influence. I know it means the same thing, but I just like the idea of this sphere, this circle that each one of us has, this this area of influence that the people that you have in your sphere, I only probably have a couple of them are and they're in this room that we share, but there's so many more people that we can influence. And so... As we think about the ministry that the Lord has given us, so many times we want to think just so far out in these big things that we're going to do. We're going to just revolutionize, you know, everything. Something big. And so many times I have seen in my life that the ministry that the Lord has given me, it's right here in front of me. It's really not that far away. And I know that it's not that profound, but to look over it, I I really believe that it would be a shame. I think it would be a sin. The biggest ministry that I have, even outside of this church, is my family. So as I would try and minister to other people, if I neglect the very people that God has surrounded me by, that would be a sin. And so even in in the, in the same way for your life, think about your daily life, where you go on a regular routine and who the Lord has surrounded you by. And it's that person right there or those folks there that you are to minister to, to encourage them, to pray for them. Uh, There's a number of different things we could do, Um, just even as a way of some examples. You can pray with them. You can share a Bible verse with them from your devotions. You can initiate biblical conversations. It's going to be something on our part that we're going to do, though, even if the person is a believer or an unbeliever. I don't really think it really matters. I want to have biblical and spiritual conversations with everybody. So that means I probably have to initiate them. Because sometimes we are just um, not aware of it. Invest in your own spiritual growth. This is something else that has been very important to me. That as I considered, when I first um, took some classes in another church we went to, I spent three hundred dollars and I took three classes, and it was really that um, that event. That has really changed my spiritual life because I showed out some money and I wanted to make sure I went to every class. I was doing all the homework. I wanted to make sure that I was maximizing and getting as much as I could from that program. And so many times as we talk with Christians, sometimes we think that it's only the teachers and the preachers that have um, the Bible software or the concordance and the commentaries. But it's something I think that all of us, uh, wanting to grow, wanting to truly comprehend the deep things of God and consistently live out maturity in our life, that this would be the motivation for us to invest in our own spiritual life. And the last point I have for our ministry is just simply being prepared. That, the most important thing you could do is just be prepared. Reading, expecting that there's going to be somebody that is going to have a problem. They're going to need to hear something. And it's going to be from the Lord. They need to hear from the Lord and not from ourselves. The last point I have is the love of the church. And I know I'm almost out of time, so I'll go very quickly. But we started reading in verse 13. And in verse 13, it starts on this journey that Paul is taking here. And I I see a very interesting pattern because it says that they travel by the day and they port at night. Because it keeps saying the next day they went to the next place. But I found it very interesting, verse 16, for it says Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia. And it says very specifically why. Because he wanted to get to Jerusalem. He was in a hurry. He's in a hurry, so he sails past Ephesus. Well then, verse 17 says that from Miletus, the next place they stopped at, he sent to Ephesus to have these elders come down to him. Um, I have a, a... Picture of a map here that shows Paul's journey. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see it. Well, you can see where Ephesus is. He went from Smyrna, or uh, from Chios to Samos, and then he went to Miletus. He sailed past Ephesus. Well, I looked up on Google Maps, and if you were to walk from Miletus to Ephesus, one way is uh, 40 hours. So there and back is 80 hours. It would take a minimum of like five days. By Paul sailing past Ephesus, someplace he could have been in one day, he actually added five days to the trip. so this had me scratch my head of why would Paul do this. But really the context of that was in uh, chapter 19. When Paul was in uh, Ephesus last time, there was a great outbreak that that happened, that they wanted to kill Paul, Uh, they tried to kill Paul, Paul barely escaped with his life. And so as I consider of... Why Paul? What his motivation would be for why he sailed past that? I don't believe it's because of fear, because he already said in our text right here that he doesn't consider his life of any value. It's worthless to him. He's not afraid of dying. He wants to get to Jerusalem. So I've concluded that the reason that Paul sailed past there is because it was a loving thing to do. It was in the best interest of the church and for the message of the gospel that he would not get um, hung up again in Ephesus. So for that reason, he had these men come down. He wasn't just playing his um, apostle trump card. He actually wanted to minister to these people, and he did not want to have any delay. And so we see what it is that um, the message that Paul had for these people, that these, these elders, that they would continue to feed the flock. Verse 28 is so important because you can see the, the triune nature of our God. You can see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you can also very clearly, this is a verse that um, speaks to the deity of Christ. It says, which God obtained with his own blood. So this is the message that Paul had for these men. And as I, again, read this, I wanted to know, well, did they listen? Like, what, what happened in history? Do we even know um, how this turned out? And the truth is, we do. If you would, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and then we'll close. So much in chapter 20, even though the word love might not be specifically used. You can see the Bible talking about Paul teaching with humility, teaching with tears. He, um, he invests in these people night and day, it says. And we know specifically he was talking to the elders. But I don't believe that he intended for the message to stay strictly with the elders. But it was to go to the church. Uh, looking at chapter 2. Man, that sounds like a really, that's a great thing. That's what Paul told them to do. Watch out for these people. They're going to be coming into your congregation. Keep your eyes open. And this is Jesus that's speaking in Revelation 2. So this is this is great news. They did it. But then we read verse 4 in chapter 2. But I have this against you, that you have, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstands from this place and let you repent. Jesus congratulates them. You did a great thing. You don't like people that say something false against the gospel, against the truth. That's a great thing. The problem is, is the way that you go about it. You have no love in you when you do it. And so I think that even as I read Acts 20, it appears to me that these elders, that they overlook the most important thing. They were task-minded. They got the um, the what they were supposed to do, but they overlooked the how. And so many times as we are to teach each other and as we deal with one another, we need to consider ourselves that we are spiritual people. I know that that seems so matter-of-fact, just fundamental, foundational. I was speaking with the, with the um, seniors a couple of weeks ago trying to Allow them to have a vision of what this could even mean. Jesus says that John the Baptist, that he was greatest among men, but even in heaven, that even the lowest is greater than he is. I said to the seniors, imagine my son, Cade. I believe that he is a true believer. I believe that he believes in Christ. I believe that we will be together in heaven. I believe that. But if he would be the, the least of those in heaven... Even Cain, right now, if he was in his glorified body, meaning the body that Christ had when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, all of us in here would fall down on our knees and cover our faces. Not to worship him, but to ask him to spare us from overtaking us just with his presence. Because what we will have in that day is great power. But the power that we have, it's not impersonal. That's what a lot of people don't understand about the Holy Spirit, too. They think it's an impersonal force, but it's not. It's very personal and loving and kind, patient, peaceful. And so as we are trying to to grow, the Lord will add to our numbers of the church. But what's important for us is that we grow in our maturity for the things of the Lord. And we need to raise the bar for our own selves of what is expected to us. And we do that by looking at what the Bible says. That we should be a spiritually minded people. We should see evidences of the Holy Spirit moving in our heart and our life, creating in us desires to do his will. And if there is something that is opposite of that in our heart, that would suggest that we need to repent. We need to turn from these wicked things and make that our main focus. That's all I have for you today. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we love you. God, we praise you for your goodness. Lord, we praise you for your word and how carefully you have preserved it for us. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, God, who you have filled every believer. And Lord, we want to do your will, even as Psalms 40 verse 8 says that we want to do your will because your law dominates our thoughts. God, I pray that you would give us victory over your sin, over our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us a desire to know you more, giving us a desire to truly submit to you, that we would not respond as the people of this world respond, but we would respond as a church of the Most High God, trusting in you. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.